Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of the leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make this man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not, Alana, my father, the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is a God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I will serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused 
If you will not said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rim to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bear there and also. When I bow down in your temple of women, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Have you, have you heard the story about uh, the, uh, the doctor and uh, the architect and the politician? Uh, they were gathered together and, uh, and having a drink, and uh, they got into a discussion about uh, whose profession was the oldest. And the doctor said, well, obviously my profession is the oldest because uh, when, uh, when God uh, created Eve, he performed uh, an operation on Adam, removing the rib. So obviously my uh, profession goes right back to the beginning. And the architect said, well, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. He said, when, uh, when God created the world... Um, he created the world out of nothing, out of chaos. And so he must have had the skills of an architect. So I think my profession is the oldest. And the politician said, don't be silly. Who do you think created the chaos? <laughs> well, this morning, uh, we're not thinking of uh, a story about uh, a doctor and an architect and a politician, but we have got uh, uh, three characters uh, in this story that I'd like us to kind of focus on and uh, to look at them and, and to look at the impact that they had. And uh, first of all, there's uh, Naaman, who the story is all about, who was uh, a commander in the army. And then there was uh, uh, the Israelite slave girl. And then, of course, there was uh, Elisha the prophet. And we're going to look at these three characters. And I wonder, uh, as we look at these three characters, uh, if you can be thinking about who you identify with most in the story? Uh, who do you kind of uh, touch base with in the story? So, uh, three characters. And uh, first of all, I want to, uh, to kind of focus in and, uh, and zoom in on the slave girl and the part that she plays uh, in the story of Naaman. Because uh, it was a simple and unnamed slave girl. We're not even told her name, uh, which is often the case uh, with people that are slaves or servants. We're not told uh, this person's name, uh, but really she was the person who had maybe the greatest impact in this story. Because uh, it was the fact uh, that she uh, cared and shared that Naaman eventually got healed. It was because a simple unnamed serve girl cared for the plight of her master and she shared some vital information that she had. First of all, with Naaman's wife, and then, of course, with Naaman himself. And you might, wonder, you might think to yourself, well, how could such an insignificant person, uh, a person of uh, such unimportance, affect somebody who was very influential and very powerful? Well, she did, because she cared and shared. 
Let's not forget that this, we're told uh, that uh, this servant uh, had been taken captive. And uh, was obviously caught in one of the, uh, the raiding parties and brought back. And uh, was really a slave girl. Now it would have been easy for this person to, uh, to have been bitter about what had happened to her. Uh, and yet, amazingly so, uh, she doesn't show any bitterness. She shows concern for the person that she is enslaved to. It's a great example for us today because this girl didn't allow her situation to present her missing an opportunity to allow God to work in somebody's life. And so often we miss opportunities because um, of what's going on in our own lives. Perhaps uh, we're struggling in some way or there's something happening in our life that's grabbing all our attention and uh, we miss opportunities to actually minister into other people's lives. You know, in the beginning, uh, when we were in our worship time, we sang that song, didn't we? You know, blessed be your name. And uh, that song reminds us that whatever our personal circumstances and situations are, we can still actually come to God. And uh, God's name is still to be blessed. And, and uh, very often it's in painful situations uh, that we can be the best servants of God. If we allow God to minister to us and through us, as this servant girl is. What is it, I wonder, that uh, prevents us speaking out in such circumstances? She heard of a master's illness. It was actually quite a brave thing to do, because uh, a servant's place uh, was not to give advice. A servant's place was to do as they were told, a menial task, clearing up. Uh, being at the beck and call of the master. It certainly wasn't her place to actually give medical advice. And yet she boldly speaks out. You know, I think there's something here. Because, uh, because most of us, if we're honest, uh, we very often don't speak out. Sometimes our hearts are beating like mad and we know there's an opportunity, maybe at work or in the neighbour, somebody's talking about something, maybe it's an illness in the family, maybe it's a problem, and something inside us actually says to us, you know, we could do something in this situation. And I reckon there's two things that stop us speaking out. I reckon one, one of the reasons maybe um, that we don't speak out is maybe because we're not sure... That God will actually do something. Maybe we're uncertain about God. What's the other reason? Well, maybe we're just worried about what people will think about us. If we bring God into the situation or mention Jesus' name, we might think that we're going to be ridiculed or made fun of. Well, this servant girl um, speaks out. And she says, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. This servant girl is absolutely sure and certain that God can do something to help her master's situation. So let's remember at the beginning of this story that everything that happens, happens because this servant girl cared enough to share her faith with somebody else. And I guess that's the other thing, the question to ask, you know, how much do we care about the people around us? How much do we care? Because if we believe um, that Jesus um, transforms lives and changes circumstances, um, then we ought to tell people about it. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. 
And uh, this girl does not keep it to herself. And this girl is remembered in scripture for the fact that she cared and she shared. I wonder, wouldn't it be marvellous, you know, if, uh, if as a church uh, we were known for those things. So often churches are not known for good things, are they? Uh, I'm reading at the moment uh, a very challenging book uh, by Andy Hawthorne called uh, Hope Unleashed. And uh, he says this. He says, wouldn't it be great if we ended up being defined not by our stance on a particular doctrine or even our ability to condemn sin, but by the extent to which we were great friends to the broken, messed up and sinful people we share our lives with. Wouldn't that be great if that's what we were known for and if that's what Lum Baptist Church was known for? So often uh, the church has a negative thing. It's known for what it's telling people not to do or for being down on something. Wouldn't it be great if the church was known as being a place of compassion a place where people were cared for. And uh, challenging book, I, I commend it to you, Hope Unleashed. So that's the servant girl. The next character that we, uh, we come across is uh, Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet. And of course, uh, his uh, instructions to uh, Naaman was uh, wash and go. Sounds a bit like an advert, doesn't it, for uh, some sort of uh, hair lotion or something like that. So wash and go. And uh, Naaman, when he finally gets to, uh, to the prophet Elisha, uh, he was a bit disappointed, wasn't he? He was uh, a bit disappointed. You see, Naaman wasn't impressed uh, with the prophet Elisha. Why wasn't he impressed? Well, because... Uh, Naaman was a great man. We read that in verse 1. that uh, It says that uh, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given uh, great victory over Aram. But it wasn't only other people who thought Naaman was a great man. He himself <laughs> was under the impression that he was a great, great man. And uh, Naaman says, doesn't he, you know, um, I thought he would at least come out to me. Because the prophet Elisha uh, just sends a servant out and says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman went away angry, saying, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. And you see, Naaman's problem was he had a, a preconceived idea of how God works. He had an idea of, of what God did. That if he was going to heal, be healed, that uh, the prophet himself was going to come and speak some words and, uh, and lay his hands on him. And that's how it was going to happen. I wonder whether you and I have got preconceived ideas about how God works and how God operates. I wonder whether sometimes we miss out on, uh, on God's blessings because uh, we think, well, God, God couldn't possibly work like that. Because this really is a story of, uh, of uh, when God asks us to do something ridiculous. If I was going to give this uh, sermon a title, that's what I would say. When God asks us to do something ridiculous. Because to Naaman, what this servant was asking seemed absolutely ridiculous. And Naaman in his pride was thinking, there's no way I'm going to do that. 
seems to me that uh, this idea that God asks people to do something ridiculous um, is quite a common theme in the Bible. Let me tell you what uh, what I mean by this, and, uh, and maybe you'll uh, you'll join in with me by uh, you know if I say uh, I don't know about you, but it seems to me, will you say ridiculous? Will you do that for me? We just practice that. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that's okay. You've got the hang of it. You could, as we go on, you might want to shout it out a little bit louder. But uh, do you remember, you know, back in back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis six, when uh, when God asked Noah to build a, a boat in the desert? I don't know about you, but to me that seems. Do you remember Abraham, who was uh, getting on in years? He was quite old. And uh, his wife was also getting on in years. And, and God had this idea that they were going to have a child. Not only that they were going to have a child, but that they were going to have as many descendants as there were stars in the, in the sky and grains of sand on the shore. I don't know about you, but to me that seems... Yes. And then there was a guy called Moses, wasn't there? And uh, God again called him in old age. And he told him to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let all the Israelites go free to release all his workforce that were helping him build something. I don't know about you, but to me that seems... When we get into the uh, New Testament, uh, God doesn't stop doing the same sort of things. He he says to uh, uh, a young girl called Mary, uh, although you're not married and in a relationship with a a man, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. I don't know about you, but to me that seems... And then, of course, when, uh, when Jesus was born, uh, he never stopped uh, the kind of the, doing the same things. He, we were thinking last week, weren't we, about uh, a guy that had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, you know, get up, pick up your mark and walk. And I don't know about you, but to me that seems... And then he said to a bunch of fishermen who were, you know, pretty hardy folk and uh, were earning their living by fishing. He said, stop your fishing, leave your nets and come and follow me. I don't know about you, but to me that seems... And then, of course, uh, right at the end of Jesus' ministry, he had this idea that the disciples were going to take over uh, from where he had left off. And he said that they were going to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations everywhere. I don't know about you, but to me that seems... Do you get the idea that throughout Scripture that God asks people to do ridiculous things... And uh, some of the people of God actually got the idea that, hang on a sec, when God says to do something, however ridiculous it might seem, it might actually be worth doing. And we could carry on, of course, couldn't we, uh, through church history and right up to the present day. You know, when God first said to me, I want you to go into the Baptist ministry. I don't know about you, but to me it seemed absolutely and when he said, I don't want you to go to the local Baptist college in Manchester, which would have been a lot easier and a lot simpler, but I want you to go to London and go to Spurgeon's College for four years. Again, it seemed to me, I don't know about you, but it seemed absolutely. And then when God said to me, I want you to move to Lum in the Rossendale Valley. I don't know about you, but to me it seemed. No, not really. <laughs> I'm just messing with you now. But you get this idea that, you know, we have a God that asks us to do ridiculous things. And Naaman, he was angry uh, because it just seemed absolutely ridiculous. And he said, you know, there's rivers. We've got rivers that are much nicer and much cleaner. Uh, why can't I go and, uh, and bathe in them? And uh, the message was, though, to wash and to go. 
And, uh, you know, it was about that, that pride. It was about Naaman thinking he was somebody uh, that was stopping him. And, uh, you know, all of us at, at times, you know, we have a, a grander idea of who we are, don't we? And uh, sometimes it's great, isn't it, to be reminded of our place. I like the story of a minister, uh, because it's of a, a minister that lived on a farm, funnily enough. And, uh, and uh, he'd been in the ministry for a long time. And uh, one day he was looking uh, for his walking shoes, and he couldn't find them, and he was looking under his bed. And uh, he didn't find his walking shoes, but he pulled out this box that he'd never seen before. And on the box, uh, in his wife's lovely handwriting, it says, Private, do not open. Uh, so he opened it. <laughs> and inside, he, he found a, a basket uh, with three eggs in it. And an envelope. And when he opened the envelope, there was a whole wad of cash. And he counted it, and there was £1,500 in cash and three eggs. Well, he put it back in the box and closed the box and put it under the bed. But his, his mind had started thinking, he thought, what's going on? And so when his wife came home, he, he confessed his sin. He said, I was looking for my walking shoes, but I found this box. It said, do not open it, but I opened it. And you know, and he said, I found these three eggs in this whole wad of cash. What's that all about? And his wife, well, seeing you found the box, she said, I may, well, I may as well tell you. She said, uh, you know, you've been ministering for, uh, for 20 years, and I've been sat listening to your sermons for 20 years. And she said, you know, every time you preach the sermon, I went into the bad, a bad sermon, I went into the hen house, and I got an egg, and I put it in the basket. And the minister thinks, wow, 20 years, and only three eggs in the basket. I must have preached some pretty good sermons. And then, as an all that for, he said, well, that's, that's the eggs. He says, but what about the cash? And the wife says, well, every time I got a dozen, I went down to market and sold them. <laughs> it's good to be reminded that, you know, we're not half as good as we think we are. And uh, we're not half as good as other people may sometimes tell us that we are. And the problem with Naaman... Uh, when God asked him to do something ridiculous, he thought he was too important to go down to the River Jordan and to bathe seven times. And uh, he had to learn a very hard lesson. And so, let's think about Naaman the soldier and uh, the lesson that he had to learn. And I've called this duck and dive. Um, because he had to learn... Quite a painful lesson. You know, Martin Luther King said, God created the world out of nothing, and as long as we remain nothing, he can do something out of us. And notice it's the servants in the story who know that they are nothing that turn out to be the heroes. Do you notice that? It's the servants in the stories who know that they are nothing who turn out to be the heroes. And so often... The guys who have got the positions of power and authority who think they are somebody who end up falling flat on the face. Is that another familiar theme that we find in scripture and in the world that we live today? It took a brave servant to tell the angry commander that he'd got it wrong. I don't know about you, but it's much easier to tell people they've got it right and to pat them on the back than to actually tell them, actually, you're wrong. It's quite hard, isn't it? And of course... Um, the higher the position that the person has, uh, the harder it is to tell them that you've got things wrong. You know, how many, 
How many MPs in the Labour Party do you think go to Gordon Brown and say, hang on, Gordon, I think you've got this wrong? <laughs> Not if they want the jobs. <laughs> Not if they want to be part of the cabinet. Um, but this servant says to uh, Naaman, you know, if, if the prophet had asked you to do something great, something of importance, you'd have probably done it. But because he's asked you to do something ridiculous, uh, you're not going to do it. And uh, Naaman goes and uh, eventually he, uh, he dips himself in that river seven times. And uh, of course, amazingly, he's cured of leprosy. And uh, there's something about the story. I like the bit at the end where uh, Naaman says, you know, now I know that there is no other God. As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept anything, even though Naaman urged him, the prophet says. And Naaman goes on to say, you know, that, that, uh, that he now knows that there is a God in Israel, that there is a prophet in Israel. And you know that, that knowledge, that peace that, that Naaman obviously didn't have before, came in the fact that he now knew for certain that there was a God. And uh, you know, so many people look for purpose in life, they look for meaning in life, uh, but so often they look in the wrong places. Um, Rick Warren in his book, The uh, Purpose Driven Life, Uh, suggests this, he says, it's not about you, which is worth just thinking about for a moment. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfilment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. It's not about you. It's not about you. And you know, if you're, if you want to know, you know, as people come to me sometimes and say, how do we know? How do we know what God wants us to do? How, well, part of knowing what God wants you to do is having that peace in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that you're within God's purposes. And sometimes God asks you to do things like he did with Naaman and like he did with many other people in the Bible and like he still does that are kind of outside our comfort zone. Um, But if God is in it, we get a peace in our heart that we know that this is God because God's Holy Spirit uh, communicates with our spirits and gives us that peace. And that's what uh, Naaman had at the end of the story. So three characters. Um... There's Naaman coming up out of the water, marvellous, wonderful. So which one do you uh, identify with the most? The servant girl, uh, cared and shared, are you the sort of person that, that knows that you, know, that you have opportunities to care and to share for people around you? Do you uh, identify with the prophet Elisha, uh, who was certain uh, he knew what to tell Naaman. He knew what God was saying. Or maybe why most of us identify more readily with Naaman because uh, he doesn't always go in straight away, does it? We need some persuading that this is God. That God is actually asking us to do something. And it may be this morning that uh, you know God is asking you to do something. 
maybe he's wanting you to go into the river. Maybe there are people here this morning that have never been baptised. And uh, God is speaking to you about baptism. Maybe it's about uh, a bigger commitment. Maybe you've not become a member of this church and you've not made that kind of uh, commitment about actually coming into membership and, uh, and saying, this is where I belong. This is where I, I want to be. Uh, maybe it's about going out and being uh, and doing mission that you know that God's put something on your heart. And uh, however ridiculous it may seem, that you just know there's something that you've got to do. Let's learn from the characters in the story of Naaman. Uh, those that got it right, but also those that got it wrong. And let's remember that there is a God. And that he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And uh, we don't have to prove ourselves to him because he accepts us and he loves us and he wants to use us. So let's pray together.